get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics and at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes so you don't miss an episode there. Also, get us on the TSN1050.ca show page, and we'll tweet out the links on Twitter as well. On today's program, Travis Yost from TSN.ca leads off as usual in just a moment. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and Roto World Analytics Writer. That'll be in about 20 minutes' time, as well as some fantasy hockey tips from James Harding of NHL.com. Let's not waste any more time. Let's head to the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line and make sure you go check this out. The weather's terrible, folks. So get yourself unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. You can get 100 if you want, as long as you order two online at dominoes.ca. If you want a large, hey, you can up it for just 3 bucks more. So check out all the great deals at dominoes.ca. Travis Yost on the line. Travis, how's it going? I'm doing good. Hey, Andy, I, gotta, I was going to bring this up when I was talking about it last night. I, I was ready for a Tampa Bay-Toronto series, but I'm not sure I was ready for it in the first round. What's going on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. man, this is, it's getting crazy, right? Like, when we look at, I think, for that Atlantic division and how close that is, like, you got, the, like, Travis, you got the Canadians at 59 points, too. The Sabres are dropping. Like, this is, it's just all over the place. This, there's so many divisions and so many races heading into the All-Star break. I don't know about you, but does this seem like a lot of, a lot more closer races than in recent years, maybe it's just recency bias. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I think part. I think I, I think I'm trying to tangle out, disentangle what's real uh, on yeah. your point. And I think what you're, I think what you're getting at here is that, that where we think the better teams are really clustered by division also seems to be collinear with really good playoff races. Like we talked about mm-hmm. Pacific last week, right? But, you know, there's two or three divisions that have really a really top talented, you know, two or three teams that all seem to be chasing one another. I just you know, from, from Toronto's perspective, like, I, you know, I've consistently graded them as maybe the fifth or sixth best team in the league, but I have to, I, I don't know when you start hitting the panic button. I don't think we hit it yet, but, uh, you know, especially with the goaltending challenges they've had, but, like, at some point you have to look at the standings mm-hmm. 60% of the way through the regular season and say, we didn't expect to be here. No, no, and and you know what? Let's let's hit on the Leafs here again with William Nylander after last night's loss to Florida. Want to have you hear what Nylander said after the game? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, chances have been there uh, throughout a lot of the games, but just haven't been able to find the net today was uh, a little tougher. But um, I mean, never had a slump like this in uh, in my life, so just trying to, I mean, find a way to uh, work through it, and I mean, just got to work harder and harder. Yeah, so, uh, Travis, we heard him say it's the biggest slump of his career and probably a stretch to say he's cost the Leafs a game based on his play, but like many Leafs, certainly having a tough time putting the puck in the net and he got demoted to the fourth line during the game. Do you think Nylander will ever get back to 100% of himself this season or is it too tough missing so much time? Well, here, here's, the, here's the problem, and, it, and it's kind of like a seesaw that you got to balance with the William Nylander discussion, but... From a numbers perspective, and even if you're just strictly going based off of video, you can't in good faith argue that William Nylander is not generating bunches of scoring chances. I mean, he, he's in and around the net on a very regular basis, and you can say that he's had you know intermittently bad shifts, but 
again, I would always I always push back on that with, well, who doesn't? I mean, if, yeah. you, if we microanalyze every player in the league, you're going to find some bad shift. And I, I'm not making this a defense about William Nylander, but I, I have to say, if you just for a minute close your eyes and pretend the Nets aren't there, and we're talking about how, how well does a player pierce into that interior? Is he generating a lot of scoring chances from the slot? Is he getting oppor- generating opportunities for his line mates? He looks identical to the player that we saw a year or two years ago. The, the, the other side of this, though, and I think it's something that we need to come to grips with, is is it possible that he ventured into a slump and now it's kind of a feedback loop, right? Like, so, mm. you know, he's slumping and he's just, not, he's just not getting the right puck luck over a stretch of six, seven, eight games. And then he starts questioning himself and then he genuinely starts playing worse. And now he's compounded an issue that maybe not, maybe didn't exist in the first place. And now he actually is struggling. And I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think the numbers fully bear out that argument, but it, it is interesting to me that a very seasoned head coach like Mike Babcock felt comfortable dropping him down in the lineup. And, and look, at the end of the day, the Nets are on the ice for a reason. You've got to put the puck uh, yeah. through one of them, right? Like that that's the whole point of the game. And if William Nylander's not doing it, uh, then you need to reevaluate his ice time. The the, the issue that I, I see though from a coaching perspective on this is he is generating as much offensive activity as my top two or top three forwards on my team. And if that's the case why would I believe that the scoring wouldn't rebound at some point? But, uh, again, it, it's like, how long do you wait? So very tricky, very tricky situation for the Leafs here. Yeah, and that's such a good point, Travis, because, yeah, how long can you wait? Is it an up and down? You start him one part in the lineup and move him down and just try to find that blend, coupled and, with... And, Andy, this is Andy. This is the one point I would, I would also say compounded the issue. Like, I, I don't think Nylander's, you know, absent of blame here. I think he owns oh, yeah. to this, but... This is, the discussion is definitely exacerbated because a lot of other Leafs are not playing as well as they did to start the year. I mean, that's, right. they're not winning as much. The team isn't producing as much offensively. Their power play, and I wrote about this this week, their power play, which was absolutely otherworldly in the first month of the season, top-ranked power play, generating like 13 goals per 60 minutes, which is outrageous. They're literally bottom third in the league since November 1, which is mind-blowing considering, considering the personnel that they have. Sure, and do you have a reason why you think the Leafs have been so inconsistent on special teams and haven't been able to put together? Because on paper, you look at that offensive weaponry, and you'd think they'd be one of the better ones. I, I, the, one of the, when, when you watch their power play, one of the things that feels kind of obvious to me is they 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 over they overcommit in the offensive zone, and what I mean by that is when they do get into the offensive zone, offensive third, and they are sustaining pressure and in possession, and usually they're working the puck along the boards. They seem a little bit panicky and jumpy, and it almost seems to me that they are taking shots that are probably relatively unfavorable if they continued cycling the puck. And what I and why I think that is because if you look at Toronto's shot rates and you kind of watch how they enter the zone and try and sustain pressure in the zone, they do see a pretty ample amount of shot volume being generated. But, again, you know, we talk about shots from the perimeter and how penalizing it can be on the power play because you are literally up a man. Uh, the great power plays of the NHL consistently have outside-inside pressure. And what I mean by that is puck can come to the top, guys can generate volume from the perimeter, but they're also looking for interior passing opportunities especially for shooters in the slot where they can generate some of that, that more savory uh, shot volume, the, the type of shots that, that are more likely to go in. And what I think what Toronto happens is I think they're a little bit too trigger-happy on the outside, 
and it lends itself to keeping the shot volume relatively stable, but maybe not on a per-shot basis. The quality is kind of not there, and then the puck comes out from time to time. And I, I, I think we, I think I've seen that a little bit. Um, uh, outside of that, like I, the personnel makes sense, right? I, I mean, I guess yeah. they can look at, hey, do we need a better puck mover on the blue lines? But like, they're they're capable there too. I don't. I just I'm struggling with uh, outside of an actual execution piece. I, I think the personnel is there. In conversation with Travis Yost of TSN.ca. Get him on Twitter, at Travis Yost. So, Travis, let's swing back and talk about the Metropolitan. We chatted about it a week ago a little bit, and a week has gone by. The Metro's still an unpredictable mess. And this week's Metro team, it's kind of like a feature team of the week. It's the New York Islanders, four in a row, eight and two in their last ten. And they're in first place without John Tavares, with a new head coach, with a new general manager. And our friend Micah Blake McCurdy gives the Islanders a 70% chance of earning a playoff spot based on his projections. Uh, is this shocking to you? Should we have seen this coming in any way? No. Um, no. But I think Good. I'm going to come up with a new rule. I need, I, need to come up with a, I need to come up with an official name so we can create a Wikipedia page and everything. But the rule is this. There will always be one average team, and I don't mean that as a slight to anyone, the average personnel team that rockets its way onto the, into the playoffs unexpectedly because of a huge spike in goaltending performance. Right. And it's every single year, one team generally fits the bill. And we, we always talk about what, how playoff contenders look very similar, but it, it certainly seems like you get one team per year that moves from a you know 16th to 20th ranked team to a maybe 11th to 15th because the goaltending is so good. And, that, and that's the story with the Islanders this year. I mean, Robin Leonard is on a heater, uh, maybe the biggest heater of his career. And, you know, we talked about the Islanders team last year. The, the, the issue with moving the puck and generating offense was never an issue with the Islanders with or without John Tavares in the lineup. The, the, the critical issue there is how many goals that they gave up and how dreadful the goaltending was. I mean, if, if you kind of look just a little bit south of the Islanders, you've got a Flyers team that I think on paper has reasonably similar talent, but they look horrendous. And that's because you can never put a goaltender, what are they, up to seven goaltenders in 45 games, 46 games this year? Um, that that and, and not one of them do you have you know more than an ounce of confidence in that they're going to deliver a standard or above standard performance. Whereas you know they the Islanders I don't want to say walked into them but you know they kind of bumped into a one A one B goaltender Robin Leonard a, a guy with career splits where he may not be full blown starter quality but definitely enough to lead a platoon and he's been fantastic for them and, and again I don't want to put it just all on the shoulders of one person but. If you look at the Islanders across the team, uh, you know across the lineup and how they play five on five power play penalty kill, they're they're a pretty average team. But when when you're so difficult to score against, especially relative to last year, you become very competitive very quickly. Yeah, and we've seen that. Let's let's stick with playoff projections for a moment and strength of schedule here. And it's obviously a big factor into a team's chances of earning a playoff spot. And this is something you've recently detailed on TSN.ca. Which team currently in a playoff spot is most at risk of falling out of the postseason race based on the quality of their opponents for the remainder of the year? Oh, boy. This is a loaded question, and I'll explain <laughs> why. There, there, there is no doubt that Pittsburgh has the most difficult schedule remaining. I believe they have the second-hardest schedule in January remaining at the time of writing it, the sixth-hardest in February, and the second-hardest in March. Uh, it's not even close. They have the hardest schedule remaining, and a lot of that is because unfavorable back-to-back situations, good chunk of a road games, and obviously they're facing the, the better part of their schedule in the second half this year. I, I guess I would word it another way. I don't know that Pittsburgh is going to drop out of the playoff race, but I think it becomes much, much harder for them 
to win the division, let alone have home ice in the first round. And again, knowing how much home ice matters, and especially knowing that you know Washington is a very credible team in that division. Columbus looks pretty credible, depending on what they do with the trade deadline. Um, the, the Islanders are certainly better. I, you know, I, I, I think you can make the argument that Pittsburgh might have the most talented team still in that division, but points are just going to be directionally harder for them to come by, um, and, th- and that's a fact. And if it means that they finish second or third in the division, they're going to have to deal with the repercussions of that. Uh, the, the, other, the other piece uh, on the kind of the flip side of that, and I think really the team to watch in the West, is Vancouver. I, no team in the league, I, again, Vancouver, another what I would argue in that third tier of very average teams where right. they can look great on one night and look terrible another. Um, they clearly have the easiest schedule remaining this year. A lot of it is because they've, they've been lumped up against a lot of the better Western Conference teams in the first half of the year. Uh, a lot of road games in the first half of the year, and a lot of the a lot of the, just the better uh, Eastern Conference opponents fell in, in that way in the schedule too. So keep an eye on Vancouver, uh, especially when we're talking about that race for the seventh eighth spot um, between Dallas, Minnesota, Colorado, Edmonton, Vancouver. I I don't know that Vancouver has anything but the fifth best roster out of that five team tier, um, but I know that they have the easiest schedule remaining. So they're going to be a team to watch on the flip side of that. And Travis, what about the Buffalo Sabres, right? Because they started the year hot, and now they've been slumping 3-6-1 and one in their last 10, right? They lost the other night, and now sit fifth in the Atlantic. Um, when you look at the Sabres projecting forward, where do you see them? Are they kind of coming back to maybe closer to where they should have been all year? Yeah, I think so, and I don't think that's a criticism of them either. I, I, I don't... If anyone thought that the 10-game win streak was indicative um, of their true talent, they just weren't watching yeah. much of the games. And that's, that's kind of the reality. And, and the same is true for the other side, right? Like, they're really struggling right now. But, you know, I think they've played well in spots, and the wins just haven't broke for them. At the end of the day, this is, again, what you expect from an average team. They look great some nights. They look terrible others. Um, one of the things that I can tell you, though, that is killing Buffalo – and and I think we should have expected this considering where they were on the rebuild curve and how much issue they've had really developing competent depth behind that Jack Eichel line. They struggle more than maybe any team in the league against some of the tougher competition. If you look at their underlying numbers against playoff competition, I mean, they're consistently a 43 44% scoring chance, shot advantage, goal percentage team. Uh, it's been pretty ugly in a lot of those games. I think in the last 10 playoff teams uh, they've faced, they have five total points. I mean, that, that's Ooh. just not going to get it done. Um, and especially in the second half of the year when the playoff race is really tightening and you've got a lot of teams around you, like Montreal, for example, that are really surging in the standings. So, again, a one-line team, they get decent goaltending, and that can help them win some nights, but unfortunately that's going to make it – it's going it's to be a photo finish, really, for the Sabres because I just don't know that they have enough depth throughout the lineup to really ensure that they can play to maybe a 92, 93-point pace the rest of the way. I think that's a great point you, you make with a team's average. Sometimes, sometimes you don't have the polar effect, right? Sometimes the team isn't incredible. Sometimes they're not the worst. Sometimes they're just in the middle, right? Like those. Yeah. That's a lot of teams. I, that's, I mean, the other the other example of that team, and, and you can look at this from an in game by in game basis, like how volatile the performance is. Anaheim for the first forty games was the best example of this. There was ten games where Anaheim looked like a playoff contender, and then there was twenty five games that they looked bad, and then there was another ten games. Or yeah, so ten games or so uh, where where they looked utterly horrendous, and you're like, what what am I getting from this, what is on this? a nightly basis? Because it does it with no rhyme or reason. The performance can fluctuate so wildly. Whereas again, with other teams, you can see that their performance 
the distribution of performance is much narrower. You generally you'll, they'll have bad nights and good nights, but their bad nights and good nights aren't nearly as uh, exacerbated as a team like Anaheim's or Buffalo's in this case. No, not at all. Travis, great stuff as always, man. Thank you so much. All right, take care, Andy. There he goes, Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Make sure you check out his work there and. Follow him on Twitter, at Travis Yost. We will step aside. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and Roto World Analytics writer joins me next here on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050. If you're hungry, check out this great deal from Domino's. Unlimited two-topping medium pizzas for just $7.99 each. That's right, as many pizzas as you want with a minimum purchase of two pizzas. So stock up, dig in, and feed that hunger with unlimited two-topping medium pizzas. Perfect for the big game, a busy night with the family, or just because. Order online today at dominoes.ca and add on some great side dishes and dessert. That's dominoes.ca. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Here on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto, I'm Andy McNamara. Get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, TSN1050.ca show page, if you miss any of the program. Still to come in the show, we'll get some fantasy hockey tips with James Harding from NHL.com. But first, let's head to the Domino's Pizza delivery line where this weekend... Get a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. How about some side dishes like boneless chicken, pasta, all the dessert options, lava cakes, marble cookie brownie for dessert. Check it all out at dominoes.ca. Perfect food, cold weather. You don't want to cook. Let's go to Gus Katsaros, McKean's Hockey, Roto World Analytics writer on the Domino's Pizza Delivery line. Gus, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Now I want pizza. See? It's perfect. It works. It works. <laughs> <laughs> you can get it at dominoes.ca. All right, guys, let's begin with Mike Babcock maybe making his life a little bit harder with all these lineup changes. And I get it. If things aren't going well, you want to tweak, you want to find that spark. But do you think he would be better off just sticking with a set lines, just sticking with it for a while? Or is the tweaking necessary? Like, Is he making his life harder? See, I think that some of the tweaks that he does make, though, aren't necessarily because of players or the production or the lack of production. I know that the optics look really bad from Michael Nealander and, or sorry, William Nealander, and, and we'll get to that in a moment. But for the most part, I think that uh, coaches will tweak based on circumstances in game, and they have to make those kind of adjustments because um, you you formulate a plan going into a game um, you see that your plan isn't necessarily working so you're going to try to tweak it and and hope that those little adjustments will force the other coaching staff to be able to make some kind of adjustment that that works actually in your own favor um, the performance and the fact that players are moved on and off the line because there's something actually wrong um, I mean, we saw an example of that last year in the playoffs where Boston was was completely dominating Toronto. They took William Nylander off the first line, put him on the fourth, and they moved up Connor Brown. Now, there was a reason why he was placed into that slot. 
um, and it didn't end up working out. Um, the fact that they did it, though, was because of something that was happening in-game. I find it being less of a performance issue and more being something that, okay, I need to put this lineup into a position to succeed, so I'm just going to try to tweak something while making these adjustments to hopefully do something against the opposing coach. Gotcha. Right, right. And speaking of Nylander there, now we know he hasn't performed since coming back and that maybe to some extent should have been expected, but not to this degree with missing so much time. Do you feel, maybe not right now, but if this slump continues for Nylander, and he said it himself, biggest slump of his career is being a healthy scratch, is sitting in the press box a possibility in the not-so-distant future for Mr. Nylander? So the the thing about that is um, I'm I'm all for having a player sit out a game, maybe even two games, as long as you can identify the spot and communicate properly to that player that these are the areas that you need to work on. Um, and I should be very careful about how I approach this. William Nylander hasn't performed well. He hasn't produced well. Right. So the production versus the performance might be a very big variance there. So what coaching staff has to do is have to go, and for me, the biggest issue that I've seen with Neil Linder is actually a bit of a, a, a two-edged sword. He is so good at rushing the puck and doing things that move the puck up the ice, yet there are so many of these lone ranger rushes that he's attempting simply because he really wants to try to get something going. And I can understand that from a pressure perspective, but he needs to stop doing those lone ranger rushes. He needs to incorporate his teammates a little bit more and just relax and play the game. If they are going to end up sitting him out as a healthy scratch, and again, I have no problem with that as long as it's a constructive method of portraying an idea, the coaching staff have to sit him down and go over video or whatever the case is and show him these are the things that you are doing that are not necessarily helping your case and in general not necessarily helping the Toronto Maple Leafs. So as long as the communication is open, honest, and constructive, there's no issues with him sitting out a game or two. In conversation with Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey from Roto World, one of their great analytics writers on Twitter, at Cats Hockey, Cats with a K. All right, Gus, it's been really an up-and-down week for the Maple Leafs. Loss to the Avalanche, Jake Gardner getting booed, scores in slumps, you beat Tampa Bay, the league's best team, then you lose to the Florida Panthers. And Let's go to Gardner first here, because I think there's no doubt that his performance against Colorado warranted disappointment from the fan base, but the spotlight has been placed on him this week and being brought up in conversation how the booing could affect Gardner going forward. And last thing you want is it to turn into a Larry Murphy thing, right, from back in the day where every time he touches the puck. Do you think this could affect Gardner negatively going forward? Yeah, to bring up the Larry Murphy thing. Oh, man. Drops <laughs> up some pretty ugly images, doesn't Poor it? Poor <laughs> Larry. And then he went on to win a cup, right? Or a yeah, couple, well, whatever it was. <laughs> it just kind of goes to show you, right? You have yeah. to watch what you actually wish for. So the thing about Gardner, there's a, there's a little bit of an issue here, too. Obviously, um, the optics from the moment that he joined the Leafs to the point of where we are now, um, there's a lot of negative issues. So those negative optics, the things that have really you know irritated the fan base, it just seems to kind of all come to a head. And Colorado's game was probably one of those really last sticking points. And I think that it's more of an issue now simply because of the fact that he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Right. So during this contract year, you could say, okay, well, he'll get out of this or he'll, he'll learn to get out of this. Jake Gardner was a forward for his developmental years. 
you can't learn to play defense in the NHL. It's not a, a position that you can just um, learn as you go. You need to be established. You need to be able to face um, the skill that's coming at you on a consistent basis. And he's clearly not developed very well on the defensive end. Those offensive skills and the skills that really make him productive um, are what keep him in the lineup, moving the puck up by supporting the pl- the play well, um, one of the better skaters in the league, you know, and, and good edges, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on and on. But what fans are seeing now are, are all those mistakes, those moments that over the years have just irritated and irritated and become worse and worse and worse, that now they're at the point where, you know, he's gone at the end of the year, let's just either get rid of him or do something to to. to bring another asset in or whatever the case is. So I think that fans have just finally have had the point simply because of the contract more so than the actual situations themselves. Well, Gus, let's kind of parlay off of that with a little over a month from the February trade deadline in the NHL. And this week, our TSN Hockey Insiders reported that the Leafs would be okay with parting with their first-round draft pick in an appropriate deal. Then the conversation transitioned that if the Leafs were pursuing a significant defenseman, they'd obviously have to part with a roster player on top of that draft pick. So names like Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Johnson came up uh, on TSN 1050. We've chatted lots about the Leafs needing to add on the blue line, but how far do you think Kyle Dubas is willing to go when it comes to subtracting assets in an attempt to upgrade that defense? Well, I, I bet that idea first came into mind when William Nylander was re-signed back into the fold. And, right. and, and they thought that, you know what, okay, we now have X, Y, Z in assets. We could do it this way or that way. Um, and the plan was, was put forth from that position. Um, clearly, the struggles early on. And again, the struggles that are happening right now are limited to right now. Austin Matthews is struggling just as bad over the last few games. Um, I, but, I mean, we've seen the skill level and we, what he's actually available. Uh, sorry, attainable. His production goes up and down. Nylander's does too. So when Dubas was probably formulating this plan, he was thinking, you know, if I can get rid of um, a skilled but useful forward, perhaps use my first round draft pick, I could get a significant asset on the back end. I don't think that had anything to do with the decision to move Gardner at the trade deadline. If it did, that makes things a lot more complicated. Um, they could probably get a decent asset for a, a, a less expensive price if they just want to slot somebody in on a depth row. But, I mean, if they're trying to replace Jake Gardner altogether, then whatever they're moving out to bring in a premier defenseman, they'd get quite a good haul enough for Jake Gardner that it would pretty much be a wash. So you're essentially just replacing one player with another. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I don't think that it's a bad idea for the Leafs to put their first round pick into play. I think it really does have to do with whether or not they do want to get another premier defenseman in the league, or sorry, in the fold right now, keeping Jake Gardner as well or if they're going to end up moving Gardner and just replacing him with uh, a similar asset that would essentially wash out the price that they pay. Yeah, that'd be really interesting because if they don't intend on bringing him back, then you might as well try to get something for him, right? Well, you have to plug in that hole at some point in yeah. time, whether they do that now at the trade deadline or in the off season, One way or another, that hole's got to be fixed. Yeah, indeed. Gus, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it, man. Pleasure's always mine, Andy. Have a good fun having some pizza today. I will. will. You too. Go get some. (laughs) Domino's.ca. There he is, Guts Katsaros, McKean's Hockey, Roto World Analytics writer on Twitter, at Cats Hockey. We'll talk a little bit after the break about if Maple Leafs head coach Mike Babcock, is he starting to feel the heat? And then some NHL fantasy talk after that with James Harding from NHL.com. A lot more coming up on TSN Hockey Analytics. 
get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Andy McNamara with you. We are delivered by Domino's. Get yourself unlimited two topping medium pizzas for $7.99 each. All you do, you order a minimum of two, and you get as many as you want for just $7.99. Check it out at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Weird week for the Maple Leafs. You beat Tampa Bay. That's good. You lose to the Florida Panthers. That's bad. Jake Gardner gets booed. You lose to Colorado. You're up, at, you're, but you're still in second in the Atlantic. The question becomes, and Nylander's struggling. Scores are in a slump. The question becomes, is Mike Babcock starting to feel the heat maybe a little bit in Toronto? And his style, is it working? Is it wearing maybe a little bit thin? Well, Craig Button, one of our great TSN hockey insiders here on the station, was on Leafs Lunch, and he went over what grinds his gears about Babcock's management style. So I'm just so sick and tired of all this talk and everything. And Mike Babcock's starting to sound more and more like the Anaheim Ducks, Mike Babcock. Oh, you got to play greasy. you got to play this. The game has changed. It's about speed and skill and thinking and freeing up your players to play. Look what just happened to Man U. They fired their longtime coach. It was a joke. Mm-hmm. And look what's happened since that guy came in and freed him up. No, I, I hate to see I'm anyone. Putting, I'm, putting, I'm putting the spotlight right on Mike Babcock. That's exactly what I'm doing. Spitting hot fire, Craig Button. Whew. On Leafs Lunch. Well, on Overdrive, Jamie Noodles, McLennan, spoke about what the, the challenges an NHL head coach faces at this time of the year. It's easy at the start of the season. They're just blowing the doors off everyone. It's a six spot every night, 6-2, six, 6-3, six, whatever, 7. But when the, when the game starts to tighten up, like Tampa is a, a tight team, they're talented, they've got everything. They know how to play the system that John Cooper wants. And I'm not suggesting the Leafs don't. But they don't execute it night in and night out. That's where I think the coach is on the clock about. Well, and we'll have to see what uh, the upcoming weeks post-All-Star break holds for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're going to step aside after the break. Your must-listen fantasy hockey tips for your league, for daily, whatever. James Harding of NHL.com, their fantasy writer, joins me next to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050 Toronto. If you missed any of the show, you can get us on iTunes. Subscribe and rate us there so you don't miss an episode. Also on the TSN 1050.ca show page. And we'll tweet out the links on Twitter. Follow us there too at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. And we are delivered by Domino's. Go get yourself a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. That's it. Fresh toppings. Get some marbled cookie brownie for dessert. Pasta, boneless chicken for side dishes. Check out all the great carryout and delivery deals at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Let's bring in now our fantasy hockey expert from NHL.com. They're great NHL fantasy writer. It's Mr. James Harding. James, welcome, buddy. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Andy. It's uh, it's pretty cold down here this weekend. I hear it's going to be pretty cold and snowy up oh. there, so I think it's just a good weekend to sit inside and, and watch some hockey. That's right. Watch some hockey, play some fantasy hockey, and that's what we're going to help people with right now 
And let's begin with a fan favorite, a listener favorite, stock up, stock down. James, give me two stock ups for this weekend. And we'll preface this by saying today we're also going to cover some strategies as the bye weeks are coming up. And we know if that's league long, if that's DraftKings, DFS, whatever, that can play havoc on your fantasy lineup. So let's start with your two stock up for the weekend. Yeah, uh, my two stock up for the weekend right now. First stock up, the recent recipient earlier this week of a trade from the Minnesota Wild to the Carolina Hurricanes, and that is forward Nino Niederreiter. Hmm. Uh, left wing, right wing, dual eligible, only 24% owned in Yahoo. Uh, had a three-game point streak before he was traded from the Wild to the Hurricanes. Um, I think he should see a top six role with Carolina once he gets settled there, either going to play potentially on a line with Sebastian Ajo and Tuivu Teravainen, he could find himself on a line maybe with Justin Williams or Andrei Sveshnikov. Um, I, I like the upside that Nito Ryder has there. I, I think you got to give him a few games to kind of settle in and, and really see where he fits. Uh, but you're talking about a guy who's a three-time 20-goal scorer on a team that wasn't really known for a lot of offensive upside and offensive pop. He's only two years removed from a career season where he had 25 goals 32 assists and 57 points. Uh, he has 23 games, uh, 23 points this season in 46 games, nine goals and 14 assists. I think that he really has a chance to double those numbers over the last bit of the season if he can really get into a groove with better playmakers down in Carolina. They're a hot team right now, so I like Niederreiter there. And then my second stock up for the weekend uh, from the Winnipeg Jets is center Brian Little. 14% owned. He's a seven-game point streak right now, five goals, four assists, two power play points, and 11 shots on goal. And he's centering the second line there between forwards Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic, and he is centering the second power play unit there as well. So I, I really like where uh, Brian Little is in that lineup placement. His consi- uh, consistent exposure to Patrick Laine and then, of course, uh, Jack Roslovic really could be a wild card uh, down the end of the season if he could really find his footing in that lineup. I like it. So those are the two stock up. Who are we avoiding in stock down? Yeah, in stock down for the weekend, my first one going down to Dallas, and that's Tyler Sagan. And we talked about Sagan a few weeks ago right. after the controversy with the CEO of the Dallas Stars calling out him and Jamie Benn. And his production has started to pick up a little bit, but right now he's gotten a little cold over his last three games. He's pointless in that span, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. Uh, the, the bye weeks coming up across the NHL over the next couple of weeks. Dallas is about to go on to their bye week starting on Monday. So after this weekend, uh, Sagan will not have a game until after the All-Star break. So mm. a three-game pointless drought right now, uh, and then... A very, very tough matchup against Winnipeg on Saturday and then heads into his bye week. So I'm not very high on Tyler Sagan right now. And then the second stock down for the week from the uh, Vegas Golden Knights is forward Jonathan Marcheseau. Uh, he pointless in three straight games and only has two points, uh, one goal, and one assist in his past ten games. Uh, he's still skating on a line out there with William Carlson and Max Pacioretty, but uh, a far cry from the 75-point season that he had last year, only 31 points right now, 14 goals, 
and 17 assists. So uh, that line has been very, very shaky with their production all season. Uh, when Pacioretty has been healthy, he's been up and down. William Carlson has struggled a lot, and now it looks like Marcia so is starting to uh, feel the heat a little bit there as well. So I'm not super high on Jonathan Marcia so going forward at the moment. So those are the two guys to stay away from. That is Stock Up, Stock Down, brought to you by Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants. Locations all across the GTA. Great one in Liberty Village, downtown. They're all across West End, East End, North, everywhere in between. Great food, great beer, great times, and a great spot to watch the games this weekend, whether it's football, whether it's hockey. Check out Three Brewers, the Three Brewers closest to you, Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants. Okay, now, James, and by the way, in conversation with James Harding on Twitter at J Harding underscore, was it J Harding underscore hockey, right? Yes, sir. Got it right. All right. I thought I, I thought I had committed to memory. There you go. <laughs> and you can tweet, James, your fantasy hockey questions there. Now, James, the bye week, this is tricky for fantasy hockey owners because if your league, if you're in a season league, you might have a star that ain't playing for a week and you got to do something to replace that output of the points and if you're playing daily if you're playing your DraftKings contest that's a big star potential and several stars that are missing for you to play so what are some bye week nhl options here or, or some strategies what do we do yeah and and the strategy right now i'm telling you is uh, avoid anaheim los angeles and vancouver right now okay. um over the next uh, few weeks until uh, February 3rd when the bye weeks end, uh, those three teams have the fewest games. Uh, they each only play two games uh, between now, or I should say after uh, Saturday night, uh, after tonight, between then and February 3rd because of the games this week and then the All-Star break and then their bye week the week after. So uh, Anaheim, Los Angeles, and Vancouver – all only play two games between now and then. Uh, load up if you can on teams like Carolina. I just mentioned Niederreiter. You also have a guy down there like Michael Furland, uh, Justin Williams playing well down there. Uh, they play uh, four games after uh, between now and, and the end of their bye week. Uh, Minnesota, Nashville, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Vegas, Washington, and Winnipeg. So those are the teams that play the most amount of games between now and February 3rd when the bye weeks end. Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Winnipeg all go on their bye week this coming week. So they come out of the all-star break, and they have uh, a huge slate of four games uh, coming out of that. Everybody else in the league plays three games between now and then. So it's a tricky time, but uh, definitely pay attention to the teams that are playing the most amount of games in the short, condensed period of time. Teams this week that are playing three games, uh, you know, look into those teams like Boston, uh, not Boston, um, you know, the Islanders or or Edmonton, uh, you know, teams that are going to see a lot of action this week and then only like one or two games when they come out of the the All-Star break and the bye week. So, you know, those are the big things. Avoid the teams that are playing the least amount of games, and then go for the teams that are going to be playing 
a lot of games coming out of the break. Yeah, and also keep an eye on backup goaltender situation or, or backups or players getting a little bit of rest beforehand if there's multiple games in close proximity. So keep an eye on that as well. Uh, James, 100%. Yeah. For DFS, for the DraftKings lineup. Now, there's if you haven't played the NHL on DraftKings.com, it's really cool because they've added the showdown option, which I love, where you can pick a team, just a team versus a team. So Vancouver versus Buffalo, for example, or Toronto versus whoever, and you can play just just those players in that game with no specific position so you can try that on DraftKings or the classic salary cap game where you have to do position by position and work it all into the salary cap going into this weekend man DFS play who's your value by who do you like to slot into the DraftKings contest that might save you a bit of money but also might kind of jack up the ceiling on the fantasy point yeah, I, I really like uh, center Boone Nieves from the New York Rangers this weekend against the Boston Bruins. Uh, he had a three-game point streak snapped on Thursday against the Chicago Blackhawks, but he has points in four of his past uh, six games, five assists uh, in that span, and he's centering the third line, a pretty solid third line between forwards uh, Jimmy Vesey and Vladislav Nemesnikov. Uh, so he's going to be a really good value buy. You can either slot him in there uh, at center or in your utility slot. But I like the matchup against the Bruins, and I like where he's going to be salary-wise uh, in, in DFS. It fits where his production is right now. So he's kind of a guy you could take a value flyer on, and, and he has a chance to get you you know, an assist or two with maybe like two or three shots on goal. Love it. Great stuff as always, man. Stay warm. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, you do the same, buddy. we got to figure out that trip to Florida oh, one of these days. Man. It's st- yeah, 2019, new season. Gotta, we got to do a couple episodes from down there. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll try to figure that out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> See you, buddy. And there he goes, James Harding, NHL.com, fantasy hockey writer. Well, that'll do it, folks. So, for producer Sean Lavery... I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto.